Hey, what's up? This is MP Radio. Always make progress, and we are your hosts, Shankar Bhattacharjee, Fractal Biomechanics on Instagram, and and I am Sean Astorga. This is the official podcast of AMP's mentorship program for rehab clinicians and fitness professionals, where we help you differentiate yourself by getting your clients more long-lasting results. On today's episode, we have Dr. Pat Davidson. Pat, thank you for joining us today. It is an honor, man. Uh, would you mind introducing yourself? To the audience, uh, just tell us who is Pat Davidson. Absolutely, I um, you know I made the mistake of trying to eat way too much food right before <laughs> starting this this statement, so <laughs> now I'm going to have to battle that particular issue. But I, wait, uh, I waited until your mouth was filled with food, and then I asked the question. You know, that's how <laughs> you must have worked as a waiter at some point because. <laughs> I feel like the only time that you're asked how the food is, is immediately after you've taken the largest bite uh, of the meal, which I think is a very smart tactic by the wait staff because they don't really want to hear what you have to say. So it's like, oh, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. Oh, boom. Now I'm going to get them with this question. Hey, how is everything? You give them a thumbs up. <laughs> okay. Yep. Sounds good. Yeah. Cool. Fantastic. <laughs> so uh, who am I? I mean, uh, you know, I'm, currently like I, I basically I teach seminars I have a seminar series I've written some books um, you know I do an online training program so I feel like I'm I'm someone that has you know primarily made a name for myself through the biomechanics side of things where the seminar series that I, I teach is largely based around you know classifying movement trying to give avenues into improving movement capabilities for people, uh, taking those improved movement capabilities and giving a very clear pathway on how to uh, make good exercise selection as well as coaching interventions to be able to get people to perform competent fitness exercises that they can basically progress to the most specific and appropriate exercises done well for the needs that they have as an athlete or as a, you know, general population client to be able to reach their goals as quickly and efficiently as possible. Yeah. Awesome. And we were talking a little before this and uh, like my first introduction to your actual work was your course, rethinking the big patterns like back in the day. And that's one of the things I found so valuable from it was uh, just like the simple classification of like positions, like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. Like what is like sagittal plane competency mean? What does frontal plane competency mean? Cause then you could take those principles and ideas and you could just build out something that is easily scalable, you know, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah. And I'll tell you like it, for me, that, that whole process started after a seminar that I co-taught with Bill Hartman and Doug Kachijian, uh, The Reckoning, that was at Mike Ranfone's place. And during that seminar, Bill made, said his like kind of famous line of, build out your model. No, seriously. No, write out your model. No, seriously, write out your model. And um, I took that to heart, and I started working on that. And... So I just had to, like, it was this process of like, hey, you know, I do a pretty good job on a daily basis with the people that I work with. I think I kind of know what I'm doing. And can I explain this to another person? You know, what would that look like? So that's really kind of the trajectory that I went down was 
I'm going to try to dive into my own head and my own processes and my own thoughts about what I'm trying to accomplish for different people, what, the, what, it, what I'm trying to look at as a person, what my objectives are for that person to move them in the direction that they're saying they want to go, what is involved with like every step along the way of that. And what emerged was kind of the beginnings of this thing that's called reaping the big patterns. And it's just been refined over time to become what it is now, which is, I think, a more sophisticated uh, version that's turned into a seminar and a certification series and a book and a number of things for me. So it's an interesting journey with that. But it really did start from that, that process of like, you know, what do I do? What is my, what is the model in my head of how I work? And the, you know, it's that intrinsic to extrinsic back to intrinsic process that a lot of people don't go through. And the hard part is the extrinsic uh, understanding part where you actually write it out or, you know, you have to, you have to really take the thing apart. And a lot of people just don't do that. You know, like, what do you do on a daily basis? I don't know. I go through my life. Okay. Well, can you actually map it out? Can you actually item by item really list it and explain everything that you do, why you do it, how you do it. And if you were to do that, first of all, you'd find out, wow, there's a lot. Holy crap. There's like cans of worms, worms inside cans of worms. And now that I've begun this, it's sort of this like seemingly never ending process. Like, God, but if you can unpack it and then really think of the best case approaches in every circumstance, now when you put it back together and you go back to a working version of it, oh my God, you're going to have so much more success. Everything you do is going to be so much better. And the other thing is you don't know what's going to occur as a result of actually doing this process. Like I didn't think back when I started this that it was going to turn into you know, presentations, books, and basically my new career. But that's what ended up happening for me. So, you know, I, I know we're going to talk about mentorship stuff, but I run one of my mentorships as a, hey, let's write out your model mentorship. And that's the primary thing that I try to tell people is you don't know what kinds of benefits are awaiting you by actually doing this. Do it, have some patience, and see what happens. It might surprise you. There might be like, you know, unforeseen, really wonderful things that emerge from this. Yeah, that's awesome. And actually, uh, like we have our mutual friend, Michelle Bowen. This is something like she she talks about a lot with like the mind mapping and like that kind of stuff. And that's a process that like I've, I've, uh, I've started incorporating over the past uh, few years. And it really shows you one, like you would know, may know way more about a subject than you realize. And you start drawing parallels from other other areas. And then the opposite's true. Like, oh, wow, I thought I knew about this, but I don't actually know shit because I got like the thing in the middle and like no words coming off of it. So it's very helpful. I find it very helpful to like kind of guide where I take my education and like that kind of stuff and to just draw like parallels between um, yeah, different fields and like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Discovering your blind spots is really important in life. And because uh, yeah. sometimes, you know, I always look at it like, there's times where you don't realize that you have food stuck between your teeth and it's helpful when somebody else 
tells you about that. But sometimes it's hard to find stuff and you have to go exploring it on your own. So you got to poke around and do a thorough job. And then you might find that there's like, hey, wow, this was a big deal that I didn't know about. Um, and if you can learn and fill in that gap, it makes everything so much more uh, developed and comes together. So, yeah, I think I'm always interested in things like when I'm when I'm giving advice to people, I'm always like, hey, you know, you have to develop your to do list. But maybe more importantly, you have to develop your to not do list. And there's certain things that you need to avoid doing in life. And if probably in all honesty, the to not do list is more important, you know, and it for different people, different things potentially. But for most of us, kind of the same stuff, uh, you know, do your best not to overindulge like that. That'll get you in trouble in a lot of ways. Do your best not to, you know, be up all night. Do your best to not be too lazy. Like there's just a bunch of low hanging fruit that, if, hey, just don't do that. And you're probably going to be so much happier in the end. Don't worry about doing more. Just do a little bit less of these things and watch how you take off. You're taking all those anchors off of yourself. You're freeing yourself. And now all of a sudden you have so much more energy and uh, less baggage that you're bringing to everything that you do. Yeah. I like that perspective too. try your best to do a little bit less is a, is a good way to think about it. Cause it just gets overwhelming with a lot of stuff. Um, yeah. you, met, you mentioned, uh, yeah, mentioned the topic of mentorship. So in our program, we have like a little intake form and we always ask a bunch of questions, but we always ask uh, three people who have influenced you and how you think about training rehab. Uh, and what's the last course or book you've read that has significantly changed the way that you view what, what you do and your name or your program, your course or your book comes up like, 90% of the time. So I know that people will be uh, interested to hear your take on mentorship, um, who some of your mentors are, why you value the mentorship apprenticeship model, anything along the, uh, those lines. Yeah, it's, uh, well, it's always nice to hear that, that that's the case, you know. Um, and to me, like, I, I just look, you know, my, my first degree was in history. And I'm, I'm glad about that. I think it gives me a good frame of reference for a lot of things. And when I think about the, like, the historically, the, the, like, labor and work and, you know, ec economical factors, there's different time periods of, you know, what dominated from a financial model, economic model. And I think about the Gilded Age in many ways. And that was a time period where, like, craftsmen really dominated the economic sphere. And in order to be a good craftsman, you have to mentor or apprentice with someone that can show you what to do. So if you want to be a chair maker, you're going to have to find the chair maker in your village and do an apprenticeship with that person. He's going to show you all of the ways to be able to craft a beautiful chair. And right now at this stage of the fitness industry, and in many ways, the rehabilitation industry, we're in the Gilded Age, you know, like what you'll find is that if you go to a college for either profession, you'll leave that college and on a universal level, you'll say, well, I don't really know what to do. It didn't really prepare me to be all that good at this field. You know, I learned a bunch of stuff. And, and it's funny to me because, like, I don't know, maybe I didn't expect college to prepare me for any particular career. It's supposed to give you kind of like this. It's, it's like a vetting process. You know, can, can you show up for four years, get out of bed on time, 
and, um, you know, do assignments and be a normal human being for the most part. You know, can you survive that on your own? If you can, you probably are, are it increases the probability that you're a good hire for somebody. You know, that's all it really does. But now that you're done with it, you have to learn how to do a, a particular career. You have to get into that field and really see what's what it's all what what's involved with becoming good at that particular job. And in the fitness and rehab industry, the only way that's ever going to happen is if you apprentice under a master in that area. That's it. You know, you are not going to have the knowledge, skills and abilities that are specific for really being outstanding as fitness or rehabilitation providers at this point in time from the college experience or from, look, like, I, I think we're in a really dangerous time right now because everybody wants an online education, you know? Like, you work with people, <laughs> you know? Like, th that's, that's going to be your job. Like, you need to work with people in person and I think that in order to do that well, you're probably going to have to intern, mentor, apprentice with someone that's been doing this thing for a while and spend some time in that stage. There's nothing wrong with being an apprentice, but I feel like, you know, we are in a time period where undergrad graduates are trying to rocket themselves into mastery stage with none of the stuff that actually would be beneficial for them to reach that level. You know, it's like, yeah, I got, a, I got a degree. I've watched a bunch of stuff online. I've read some theoretical information. I'm the best now, you know? And it's like, buddy, like you, you've never done anything. Like, what are you, what are you kidding? Like that's, that's, I wouldn't be comfortable sending anybody to you. So I think that in order to do that, like it's time under the curve and it's time around other people that have had time under the curve. And it's that collective wisdom and wisdom is different than just book smarts or any of that other stuff. Wisdom is, is experience plus theoretical information that you've ascertained to be able to be someone that's like, you know, really like, like mastery level. Uh, so that's, that's your only option right now to really be great is apprenticeship under someone that is mastery level. Uh, I think that there's ways that that could be moved forward. And I think that it's, you know, you have to look at other fields that, that have pulled that off. But again, like I, I don't have this wealth of knowledge about exactly how that's done or which fields that's applicable to. We might be a field that's not applicable to that particular uh, approach. You know, I, I would, like probably the other ones that are, and, and because look, like even if you talk to doctors and surgeons and people in, in medicine, you know, they still have to use an apprenticeship model within those fields. Like you as a resident would have to, you know, work under a very accomplished surgeon and chief of staff in a given discipline for quite a while, you know, and learn their techniques and see their approaches to things. Uh, that's the only way that you can become a great cardiac surgeon or neurosurgeon, you know? So I, I don't know if anything ever really replaces that. We'll see. 
Yeah, no, I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think about it, my background's in actually uh, finance economics before I like went back to PT school. And uh, we would always joke in school that like the people who are teaching us business are like academics. Like they've never actually like run a business. So I'm like, they don't like, why would I want to like learn this skill from, from these individuals? So now with our clinic, like we're self-pay cash, right? We're trying to like scale to the next level. And it's like, when I'm seeking out people to, to help me with that, it's like, I'm not going to go to the academic who just like read about running a business in a book. I found someone like in in New Jersey who's doing what we're doing at just a higher level. And I'm like, just, just literally teach me how to, to do this. Where are the gaps? Where are the holes? And how can we, you know, fill them to kind of, to kind of move forward? Um, yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. Wild, man. Yeah. <laughs> I think academics is good because it ultimately compresses the history lesson yeah. of the, the big picture into... Um, a, you know, oftentimes a well-categorized and presented model, you know, but at a certain point, it's like with certain topics, it's kind of like, especially if you're going to do it, Hey, how do I do this thing? You have to find someone who's done it. That's, that's really it. Like, you, you don't want to go to the, to Wikipedia, you know <laughs> what I mean? like you got to find someone in person that's done it. And have them really kind of hold your hand and be like, look, this is how I did this step by step by step by step. And, uh, you know, this might not be the exact approach for you. Here were some of the circumstances I was facing that led me to have to make these decisions. And, you know, and looking back, I actually wish I didn't do it this way. I should have done it this way. You know, so it's it's really important to get that that individual discussion with the person that's walked that path like. I look at like, there's a reason that there's Sherpas on for mountains. You know what I mean? Like they've actually climbed the thing, you know, they'll tell you like, buddy, watch out around that left corner. Uh, you know, about a quarter of a mile up ahead, like those rocks, they look stable, but whew, they're going to slide up from under your feet. So uh, stick to the, the upper part of that bank. Don't go near the low part. I've seen a lot of people slip and fall down there and you're like, Oh man, I'm really glad that guy told me about that. If he had just been like reading books about mountain climbing, the specific knowledge of that would not be really helpful under that circumstance. Yeah, it takes the learning curve, you know, I'm not gonna say away, but it takes, the, it, it reduces the learning curve a little bit. Um, and one thing I find valuable too, is just like, uh, you kind of just touched on it. It helps me get better about like approaching problems or think how I think about problems. Um, which is what I care more about because I need to be able to like do these things continuously. Like I don't want like, a spoon fed answer. Sometimes I do, but um, I, the value of being able to like develop my thought process, understand like the data that's coming into the decisions and like all those types of things is what I find like super valuable. And they kind of help like a mentor kind of helps expedite that process a bit. Um, Pat, who are some like, of uh, people? Oh, Encore, go ahead, man. Yeah. Like um, implementing the breathing drills. We have so many people tell us that it doesn't work on them. Like they tried coaching it, but it doesn't work. But I mean, you have to work with someone who actually implements it every day. So <laughs> that is how you learn it. It's not easy. Like, okay, you hamstring adductors and all. And then still people still screw these exercises. So, I mean, just knowing in theory is not enough. <laughs> it's not. And then the funny thing is oftentimes you go somewhere and you work with somebody like for, for table test change work you know, breathing, core, exercise, whatever it is you want to call that, that realm. Uh, it's kind of like you see the person 
maybe you you try your version and then that person sees it and they're like oh no 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 here you just got to like move your foot this way a little bit and then anchor it under here and uh you're like oh that's completely different and you're like and they're like you're like oh that's what the whole thing meant i can remember having a lot of those instances you know like going to a course that like mike cantrell taught or something like that and it being like watching him do the thing and and like after trying to study hamstring mechanics and like oh the ischial condylar adductor attachment and like oh god like what do they mean by like creating like this approximation <laughs> of rib cage space with like diaphragmatic sweep like what is this and then it's like you know seeing him he's like yeah you know you can always just put your hand on the ribs and just kind of push it down and that creates that like movement in the right direction it's like oh that's what the whole topic meant <laughs> oh and it takes like one second and one you're second. like that's what it was okay cool and uh but you know like in thinking along this stuff i do think that it, you know there's like the old statements of like you know science progresses one funeral at a time um everything needs fresh blood it's like nature knew what it was doing with mm. Uh, you know, kind of making the next generation super annoying to the generation ahead of it. And it, it, it needs to be that way. Like, it, it's kind of like you need to rob from your mentors, probably piss them off to a certain degree of like, ah, you don't really understand, you know, but like having the academic background and like that knowledge, which does change a little bit, you know what I mean? And like a fresh perspective that yeah. comes in, sees what's happening. Because you, you'll inevitably get like cranky old man syndrome of like, oh, you kids don't know what it was like for us to have to figure out these these things, you know, like, and of course, the generation before me is like, buddy, like we helped you so much. And like, you know, now I'm like, oh, you know, you guys are just walking into this whole thing. And like, you think it's easy to understand frontal plane centering? Like, do you understand how much money and effort and time I had to put in to understand that concept? And now you just get it like immediately with one diagram in two seconds. You think that's easy. <laughs> and, uh, and, but it needs to be easy for them because they need to springboard off of that and have the energy to figure out the next concept that builds on that. And then cranky old man syndrome will be like, ah, that's probably not that important. You know what I mean? And like, that's just what's going to happen. It just, it just is. So it's, it's just this process that's gone on, you know, from, for time in, 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 I don't know what the right way to say that is forever. It's just gone on forever. Yeah. Yeah. In memorial. Yes. But I was like, I'm not going to try to figure that one out verbally for six reps here. <laughs> There's a saying uh, this way, like, uh, when a father says to his son that, oh, your generation is like so bad, ours was good. This, that father's father has said the same thing to, <laughs> to him. Like it goes on. Yeah. It goes on. I wonder if other animals have that same thought process. You, know? like, <laughs> yeah. you guys have it all easy. Yeah. <laughs> Pat, who are who are some uh, some of your uh, like I guess current mentors? I don't even know the right way to ask that question. People who you look to kind of for guidance in different aspects of 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 life. Yeah, I mean, I try to keep my list pretty short in terms of the professional stuff. Like, I'd say right now it's like, you know, uh, Bill Hartman, Mike Isretel. Like, those are those are really two that jump out to me. And, you know, right now, like, I'm trying to pursue bodybuilding. So Mike Isretel is very specific for that for me. 
where it's like, I mean, his, his book, uh, the scientific principles of hypertrophy. If, if people haven't read that, Oh my God, is that book amazing? You know? And even if you don't give a shit about hypertrophy and bodybuilding, it's, it's a masterful book because it's just a, his approach and thought process and logic and like being able to like tackle such a, a gigantic concept and lay it out so beautifully is worth the read because whatever it is that you're interested in, if you could do a similar kind of approach to it, it would be so much more beneficial to you and anybody else that wanted to consume your information. So, and you know, and Mike just has, tons and tons of, of info out there he's got the book his youtube channel like the the renaissance periodization youtube channel is unreal as a resource you know there's like the free part and there's like a members part i think it's five bucks a month roughly something like that but it's tons of lectures on the various topics there's videos of him and his boys training together the uh, guest people coming in that he'll coach you know, it's, it's an invaluable resource for that particular topic. So, you know, I'm watching a couple of hours of YouTube a day at this point to pick up all of the elements that he brings to that process. So I can see kind of his favorite exercise choices. I can see the way that he coaches these things. There's lectures on nutrition, like just the, the small things. So it, it really is in many ways like very interactive and his presentation style comes across very nicely, um, you know, because he's not just like available to be able to hop on a call with at any point in time. You know, the, he just like I, the guy's lifestyle is incredible. You know what I mean? He just basically like his wife's doctor, they'll go to kind of wherever it is she's working. He'll set up camp and like, you know, either train at a really sick facility or make a new facility in that spot. And then, um, you know, just hang out with his guys. Like, I feel like his, his friends just travel with him and they just set up shop and train and, and do bodybuilding as like their own little world. And um, it's, it's pretty cool, but you know, the, the training videos themselves are, are sick. Cause it's just like those guys and their actual training and talking about what they're doing and you see them like smash themselves and have to like go puke in a barrel or something like that. And you're like, okay, that's what this really is. Like I read on paper, like, you know, it's supposed to be the, here's how the set goes or whatever, but that's what it looks like. That's that, that's it right there. And I see the way that they're like implementing these concepts of myo reps or giant sets or whatever. And it's kind of like, I remember trying to read about myo reps in, in his book and being like, what, what is this? I don't really understand what the hell this concept is. And then with watching the videos, it's like, okay, there's going to be a myo rep set of leg press. And it's like, uh, okay, he gets eight in a row, like nonstop, boom. And then s sits and waits with the thing kind of locked out and breathes and kind of like quasi recovers and then boom, gets five more. And then sits and waits and breathes for like a prescribed number of breaths beforehand, five breaths each time, and then three more reps, a couple more breaths, two more reps, done, rack. And it's like, oh, that was the concept. Like it, it's a rest pause and it works under with the, like you wouldn't do it with a barbell squat. You know, you wouldn't do it with a barbell deadlift. It works with this particular implement. 
and it's it's a rest pause phenomenon mid set in a place that's like quasi resting you know so it was like because i was like the the written explanation i think he did a pretty good job he's very clear and 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 explains things well but it's one of those things that like i was trying to read over and over again and i was kind of going down that academic route of trying to figure out and then literally watching one set of something it was just like oh that's what it is so he's he's great and then you know i feel like bill has just been uh you know the huge influence on me from a mechanic standpoint and understanding all that stuff I just haven't been as focused on that recently. It's not as specific to what I'm trying to accomplish right now in my life. And I feel like I've got a pretty good background on it and base. So once you have that base, it's like, hey, maybe try and learning some other stuff. Yeah. Also, it's funny you say that about the Mike Rizzatel stuff, because uh, I was talking with, again, Mike Baker. We were talking about like a, a, a client that we share, like I like the rehab side, he's doing the training side. And we got on the topic of uh mike israel stuff and i went in like binging it and i saw like some of these videos and i'm like oh yeah i'm soft like i am not <laughs> i am not doing what i'm supposed to be doing with that <laughs> yeah those dudes are not playing around man like they are they are hardcore dudes yeah yeah but the way he disseminates information like you said like his presentations are just it, it resonates with my like how i think and it's like a very like useful way for me to like learn so i appreciate uh, his stuff from that that perspective as well um you also mentioned before uh you have a uh, mentorship program where it's basically write out your model would you mind yeah. uh, talking and talking about that a little bit like what that like maybe like a high level overview of what that looks like i'd be thrilled to i i run two different mentorships i have this one that i'm i just started uh, Monday morning and last night, you know, so th that, th this one's like the OG mentorship that I, I start the first one that I put together and it covers goal setting, uh, program design, and then business and marketing stuff. And then the other mentorship that I run is specific to, you could call it program design, but it, it's really kind of become more of a write out your model concept. Uh, and Within that, like I sort of start that one off with presenting uh, different models. And the two that I present are uh, the Charlie Francis model of vertical integration for track and field development. And then I present my model for rethinking the big patterns. And during that time, uh, you know, that takes a few weeks to get through all that stuff. You know, it's a 10 week process. So by the time I'm done with Charlie's stuff and my stuff, it's like at least halfway, three quarters of the way done with this stuff. And during that whole time, you know, the, uh, the people, the participants are, they should be writing out their model. And we do have sessions where it's like, you know, it's built in to be checkpoints of where are you at right now with this thing? And you're going to get feedback. And, and the way that I do mentorships in general is the participants critique each other. You know, like we're going to have you submit your material to other people and their job is to critique your work. And my job is to critique their critique, you know, so that we can really get down to the nitty gritty of what's going on with your model. What's it lacking? What's it doing well with? And uh, and you can kind of build on from there. But I, I think that what what you find with models that because. I think there's like, uh, you know, maybe it's just an, a semantics thing or whatever, but 
what I want people to do is separate from systems and move into models. And a model to me is something that takes on its own life. It's in what we did in that was we compared it to the Frankenstein monster before and after Victor Frankenstein pulls the lever and animates it. You know, to me, the systems are when you just have an assemblage of parts and a model is when you pull the lever and it all comes together and it, it takes its first breath and it starts to stand up and it begins to walk and now it can run and it can do all kinds of things. And it's got a life of its own. To me, a model is something that, that takes on a life of its own. And now there's like a bi-directional relationship between the creator and the model. And so what do I mean by, by that? Like I, the other thing that I do cover is, is Mike Isretel's uh, model for his, his um, sets and reps progression algorithm for how to be able to create a mesocycle, you know, because it's it, like, once you start it, it's just off to the races forever, as long as you want to stay on it, because it has its own feedback system that guides you along the way. And there's, it always has its own internal logic answer for what you should do next based upon what's currently happening. So, you know, that's, that's like one of the big things that, that we get across is that every model has certain components to it that need to be there. And it can be different for whatever it is you're trying to build. But if those components aren't present, then it will never actually take on a life of its own. So you need some kind of definitions and categories that started. What are the things that you're actually trying to develop or work on? And, and what are the subcomponents that go into those things? Like Charlie Francis had it with his, you know, he, he broke everything down with the different segments of a hundred meter race where you have the starts and the acceleration up to 10 meters. And that is dominated by the, the quality of strength. And then you have these tools that build strength. You have big barbell lifts, you have EMG, you have single jumps for plyometrics, and you have single medicine ball throws. Then you have the next segment, which would be 10 to 20 meters. And that segment is dominated by speed strength. And that would be lighter lifts with weight room-based implements. It would be multiple jumps with you know, plyometrics. It would be these other tools that would make sense for that. The next segment would be 20 to 30 meters or 20 to 60 meters. And that segment is dominated by elasticity, you know, and then the final segment would be uh, 60 to the finish line. And that's dominated by special endurance. And each segment has the appropriate tools to be able to build that particular quality. And your job within vertical integration is to toggle the volume of each segment's quality and tools so that you give the appropriate stimuli for this person in a directional manner that coincides with peaking them perfectly for their race day. And oftentimes you'll have a differentiation in sprinters between kind of your tall, long, not great starters, but people that have really good high-end speed and your short, strong, great starters that oftentimes don't have the end of the race all that well covered. And you have the timeline of whether they're a beginner, an intermediate, or an advanced 
and you're converging all of those pieces to, from a demographic standpoint with your toolbox to be able to give the person the right training stimulus at the right time to sequence them so that their career peak can ultimately reach the highest possible level. And so all the answers are done for you. You just have to kind of color inside the lines. Same thing with, with the RP system. It's kind of like, hey, we know that it's for hypertrophy. And, uh, you know, for the most part, we're going to start with a, uh, a volume prediction equation. You know, how old are you? What's your gender? What's your height? What's your weight? And that makes a big difference because generally speaking, if you are female, short, light, uh, weak, inexperienced, you can actually handle a ton of volume before you get destroyed. If you are male, tall, heavy, old, and strong, your peak levels of volume are probably a lot less in terms of what you can tolerate. So we have this prediction equation to start you off with. And now you're actually gonna start training at the low end of that volume prediction. And we're going to get feedback on how you're doing, you know? Okay, you do your first session and the muscles that you targeted, they are not sore at all and they barely got any kind of a response. Okay, next time you train next week, that same session, we're gonna add sets, okay? Versus, hey, you know, we got your prediction equation, you started and those muscles are so sore, you know, you tried to sit down on a toilet, you literally collapsed, you broke the toilet, there's fragments of porcelain everywhere. <laughs> it's a terrible situation. Your muscles are like internally bleeding. You can't do anything, uh, you know, next time we're going to reduce volume. Okay. And he has a quantitative scale that you can grade your, your stimulus, your responses in the right direction and your fatigue, the, the side effects that you don't want on, on scales so that you get a number at the end of that equation that guides you on what to do next. And within my model, it's a very similar thing where it's an algorithm, you know, it's kind of like, uh, what category of exercise do you want to use? All right. Like we have all the potential categories. Uh, and what is your goal ultimately? Like what sport do you compete in? That will classify the level of support that you need in the exercise choices that you make. If you are an interior lineman in football, you have exercises that are highly supportive. And like by support, I mean like, you know, I've got a list of 10 avenues that provide support, uh, you know, constraints, references, range of motion, uh, minimal, like how much gravity you have to manage, how much RNT you get, all, all these various things. And we're going to keep you in this high support exercise group because those will grow muscle tissue a lot more effectively than exercises with very little support that are done in open space and are kind of freewheeling and, you know, uh, those are appropriate exercises maybe for someone that's a clay court tennis player or a Olympic dive, uh, you know, 10 meter platform diver or a skateboarder or somebody like that, that is a very, in a very unsupported sport where they don't contact much in terms of objects outside of them during their sporting activities. So, you know, it, like 
But once you start in any of these systems, doof, the lever has been pulled. Your decision-making basically gets shut off as a coach and you literally just follow the model, you know? Like I don't make any choices when I'm using my model. It's kind of like I meet the person, I take their inventory in terms of like, hey, what population do you fit into? Uh, I have a prediction model basically to tell you what exercises to start with that increase their chances of uh, being able to perform things with competency. And then I have this pathway on how to strip away support. So I land them in the sweet spot for their needs in their chosen activity of how much exercise support they need to be able to, to be competent in, you know? And so it, it really, to me, like that is the, what, like it ha your model has to be able to function on its own. And ultimately, like, if you, you know, like on a, what you should develop, like I said, you should develop your own Frankenstein model. And you ultimately end up outsourcing everything to that model. You remove, like, I could, I, I feel like I could have like, a, you know, a brain injury almost, not be able to think too well. I could show up and do my job because I can still follow my own model. And the model is actually better at this point in time than me in live time with my brain trying to make independent decisions. And so it's a hell of a process to actually build that model out. You know, I, like this is going into a, like conversationally, the way I'm describing it isn't exactly like, you know, uh, talking about the exact mentorship experience. It's more talking about the, the benefits of a model itself. But it's, it's in many ways, like, I feel as though you have to talk about the benefits of it or the purpose of it. Like, I, I don't believe that an individual human brain is a good tool to use in live time for coaching and for clinical, clinical things. I really don't. I think live time individual human brain is subject to emotional whims. Uh, I think it's subject to blood glucose levels for decision-making. Uh, I, I think, I think we all make really bad choices on a regular basis throughout our days. And as soon as you can outsource your decision-making to something that's an algorithm, the probability that there's going to be more good behaviors and outcomes is probably going to go through the roof. Like I, I often talk about like, you know, every time I teach this thing, I, I ask, you know, hey, who plays fantasy sports in here? You know, anybody in here play fantasy basketball or fantasy baseball? And like almost nobody does. And I'm like, OK, well, did you know that there are guys that used to work at hedge funds that have quit their job as hedge fund workers? And all they did was they took hedge fund algorithms and reapplied them to fantasy baseball and now they literally make millions of dollars a year playing fantasy baseball. And they just let the algorithm dominate and they'll, they'll sign up for like 10,000 fantasy baseball leagues that are buy-in leagues. And they'll basically sit in their kitchen in their underwear and have coffee as their algorithm dominates in all 10,000 of these leagues across a baseball season. And they win a thousand bucks, 10,000 times over, you know, 
And just do the math on that. They're going to earn a lot of money playing fantasy baseball during the baseball season. And then during the fantasy basketball season, same exact thing. Because algorithms will always beat individuals from a decision-making standpoint over time with enough data and enough like chances an algorithm always wins if it's intelligent and what we need to do in my opinion as practitioners is learn to adopt a similar approach which is difficult for a lot of people because your ego is going to want to get in the way. You know, you're going to want to be the person that makes the great decisions on a regular basis and prove it to yourself and prove it to other people. You know, the, but in all honesty, the more that you can outsource that and have something else guide you, you know, the other thing I bring up is like diet apps at this point in time. You know, Lane Norton's Carbon app or the RP diet app. I don't think that any coach is ever going to be good as good as these apps at this point in time, because, you know, if you get into bodybuilding and all that kind of stuff, you know, there's all these coaches and they're going to have these recommendations on what you should eat. And it's like their recommendations came from their coach that came from their coach. And it's like, it'll always be weirdly specific foods. You know, it's like, Oh, you have to eat uh, white rice and tilapia. Okay. Why? Like, what's what? Well, that's, I'm telling you right now, that's, and then we're going to up and up regulate and down regulate your white rice and tilapia. And it's like, well, can we get a little, like, why is, why does it have to be this like forever? You know what I mean? And it it obviously doesn't, it's just idiotic, but that's just like the, the, the history of those areas. And now it's just kind of like, but they'll also make emotional decisions like, oh, I'm looking at you and I feel like you could use a cheat meal. Like, why? Like, what, what are we talking about here? Well, it's just that's what I think, you know. So there's all this weird subjectivity that's get put in there by a coach. And like, uh, oftentimes it's like a very oddly specific for no reason approach versus these, these you know, if, if you like carbon, think about how much knowledge Lane Norton has. Like if you've ever listened to that guy talk about a subject, it's like, oh my God, like he's literally a computer for a brain. Like the amount of research this guy's read is just mind numbing. But if he, you know, he was able to take his time and basically put all of his knowledge about how to have a nutritional approach and it's in an app. Okay. And you press start and go. And it's an algorithm that makes all the decisions. Okay. And it'll never make an emotional decision. It'll never like, there's a million different food types that make sense that hit the numbers that you want to hit. And once you start, you can literally be on this thing forever. Your goal changes. Okay. The algorithm switches to this particular direction. The, like it, it's, it's pretty incredible that these things exist at this point in time. And if you find a model that has been created by an expert in any given area and you adopt it, I think your probabilities for success in that area of pursuit go through the roof. It's almost a guarantee you're going to hit what you want to hit from an, from an outcomes perspective. The other thing, and that's what I kind of say to people that take this mentorship, 
hey, chances are you're going to have this niche knowledge that might be better than anyone else in the world. You know, I, I, I remember uh, some of the guys at Parabolic in New Jersey years ago were working with figure skaters. And it was like, I bet you guys know more about the training of figure skaters from a strength and conditioning perspective than anyone in the world, okay? Like if you happen to, to be in that kind of a niche, then you have the potential to create your own algorithm and model for that subset of population. And once you build that thing, like no one else was there to do it. There's green grass for you to go and eat and fuel yourself and create something new. Like that's a perfect opportunity. You know, you, like you, there's, if you understand the process and you see the way that other people have done it in the past, now, if you identify, you know, untapped regions, you can create something there and really dominate in that particular sphere. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I was actually, I was at Parabolic at the time when uh, that was a, that was a thing. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. a cool, uh, cool learning experience. Cause like, even from a rehab standpoint, it's like, okay, like <laughs> this person is like literally on the ice eight hours a day, five days a week. Like, what the hell am I doing here on a table? Like, we got to like figure some shit out that we could scale. Um, but I really appreciate that approach or that, that um, uh, analogy of the Frankenstein with the, um, with a model versus like systems and that kind of stuff. Cause the way that I look at it is like in the PT world, a very common scenario is that a PT is treating three, four, five, six patients an hour, eight hours, 10 hours a day. You do not want to be the last person that comes in on that last hour. Cause that person is shot mentally, emotionally. They don't care. They're thinking about their notes and all this stuff. But if you can at least like have a framework, a thought process, that's going to give you the opportunity to get a desired outcome like your chances of winning and helping that person go up big time versus like, I oh, yeah. just go work with the aid, you know, that's all right. Yeah. We'll, <laughs> right. We'll get it. We'll get it next time. And that's also unfortunately what, what kind of happens in our, in our world a lot. I talk about McDonald's a lot with this, you know, like you can go into a McDonald's practically anywhere in the world. And regardless of where you go, every employee is going to be a minimum wage employee with very limited knowledge skills uh, and capabilities, but you pretty much always get the same product no matter where you go. And it could be any time of day. So it solves for a lot of those issues. Now, am I, am I saying McDonald's is the best food? No, I'm just saying that you pretty much always get the same McDonald's no matter what or where or when. Okay. And it's because of the amount of systems that they put into place, you know, like literally everything is the same. You know, the paper that they use to wrap the burgers is the same. The little cardboard container for the fries is the same. Even the metal chute, the angle of that and the material is the same in every McDonald's. The cash registers are the same. The temperature of the fry later is the same. You know, that stuff, like it takes a tremendous amount of time and effort to standardize an operation to that degree. And once something standardized like that, you know, you can at least have consistency no matter what. And I do feel like our industries are some of the most inconsistent industries in the world. And um, so it's kind of like, hey, can you take lessons from McDonald's and apply them here? Because at the very least, you're at least, you know, you're getting a cheeseburger, you know, you're getting the same thing um, versus fitness, 
oh my God, you have no idea what you're getting. You got a new trainer. Like literally that could be anything, anything, you know, like if it's law, I don't know enough about lawyers to tell you the truth. Maybe if we had lawyers on here, they'd be like, actually, I got to tell you something. You really don't know what you're going to get. Like every lawyer is kind of their own world. <laughs> and like, there's some really bad ones and some really good ones. And like, but it, I don't know. I, I maybe accountants, like at least you kind of know, like this guy's going to file your taxes and they all kind of have to play with some similar things. Like, Hey, here's a 1099. Here's a W2. We at least know what those things are, man. You got a personal trainer and you literally have no idea what this person's going to have you do or focus on. I mean, you can kind of picture it, right? Like yeah. you might get the guy that's obsessed with kettlebells. You might get the girl that wants to do everything with, with rings. You might get the, the who knows what kind of person versus I would like to see some level of standardization. Like you come in with goals and this person has sort of like a, a standardized playbook of, okay, we know what to do for these sets of goals. Like this, these categories fulfill those goals. And these are some standardized tools that seem to be appropriate choices for this many reps with this kind of loading percentage for this much time in this kind of a progressive sequence. And at the very least, you know, people would be able to have a, a more reliable result, you know, and then as a community of fitness providers, we would have much bigger data sets to be able to look at and be like, yeah, this works. Okay. This not so much, you know, but none of that happens. You can't make progress unless you first start with standardization. And we have literally no standardization. I don't think in either field in some ways, rehabilitation or fitness. So it's so hard to make any progressive movement as a field when your field is so fragmented and every single person is their own island doing their own thing. Yeah, it's very, very similar in the in the rehab in the rehab world. It's a it's shit show. You don't know what you're going to get, literally. Yeah. Um, Pat, you have time for like one more uh, quick, quick topic? Absolutely, yeah. Awesome, man. So I saw this quote this morning, and it reminded me of something you said at a, a seminar I saw you speak at. Uh, it's a Goggins quote. You are, in, you are in danger of living a life so comfortable and soft that you will die without ever realizing your true potential. And the talk it reminded me of was in Boston. I forget the, where it was, but it was with Zach and Seth, Seth Overs, Zach Overs. Yeah. And I remember you, it stuck with me because you kept saying in your, your presentations that people just need more Goggins in their life. And I was like, that's like such a simple statement, but it's very true. Um, would you mind speaking to that and like that, that kind of mindset? Yes. So I came up with the more Goggins, less Goggins scale. Okay. <laughs> and it's kind of like... <laughs> You have to determine for any particular person whether or not they need more Goggins or less Goggins. And so some people, you know, like you, you will encounter some people that are so intense. They're like frothing at the mouth. They're like ready to do everything all at once. And you're like, whoa, buddy, you need a little bit less Goggins. Okay. Like right now is week one of your program. I'm trying to get you to be at 70% with your velocity on these exercises and I'm trying to get you to stop short of failure. I just watched you do a hundred percent and go beyond failure. You need less Goggins in your approach. Okay. The vast majority of people are on the other end of the spectrum where they need more Goggins. And 
I feel like speaking to rehabilitation professionals is oftentimes the group that I try to get to understand the more Goggin side of the scale, where it's kind of like things don't need to be perfect. And in fact, what I love, when I, one of my favorite things that, that David Goggins talked about in his uh, Can't Hurt Me book was when he was going to Bud's. Uh, and prior to that, in his mind, he was telling himself, you know, I hope it's the worst weather that they've ever had in the history of that place when I go there. I hope it rains every day. I hope it's freezing cold. I hope it's so miserable and terrible that it's just the worst experience that anyone's ever had at this thing. And it's kind of like, I think that's such a smart approach for people to take is shift your focus in the complete other way. And like, here's the thing, like, if you need everything to be perfect in your life to be successful, you are screwed. You're so screwed. It's unbelievable. Like, you know, when I think about like the, I wrote about this in, in the coach's guide book too, the, under the topic of variability, which is a gigantic topic. But, you know, I, I, at one point I was talking about football teams and good teams, bad teams versus good teams versus great teams. And really to me, the difference between a good team and a great team is that a good team can beat you under the right circumstances. A great team can beat you under any circumstances, okay? A good team might be one with a really nice offense that features a tremendous passing attack. But what happens when it's rainy and windy and terrible out? Well, the throwing, throwing the ball is not working so well, okay? Do you have an alternative? Do you have a contingency plan? You know, when a team can beat you in the sun, and they can beat you in the snow, and they can beat you in the wind, and they can beat you in a close game, and they can beat you in a shootout, and they can beat you in a slugfest. That's a great team. You know, when it's a defensive battle that they can win, a offensive explosion that they can win, their special team shows up and makes tremendously clutch plays, that's a great team. Every single circumstance they show up, you, you never can count them out under any, any kinds of circumstances. So same thing here where it's like, look, like if, if you feel like the only way to have the right outcome is the right exercise for this person under the right circumstances with the perfect breathing drill that like, if you can, if you can only get them there, you have not set this person up for success. You need to get this person to where they can handle any circumstance. They have different tools that they can bring to the job to be able to be a robust, resilient, rugged person. You know, like, it's funny because people that train with me, you know, maybe somebody would be like, oh, I hurt my back. Like, what should I do? And I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, wait and see, first of all. Like, how is it in five minutes? Like, cause right now all I'm looking at is somebody that's freaking out. Okay. You're just freaking out a hundred percent. I'm like, look, I've been there. There's reason to freak out. That shit's scary. Okay. Like you're going for a big, heavy deadlift. Something seemed to go wrong for you. You got locked up. You're on the ground. You're like short of breath. Your pupils are about, you know, the size of dinner plates. 
you're right now you're probably thinking that you're never going to lift weights again your life is over i'm like look it's not okay i've been there a bunch of people have been there before you're probably fine to tell you the truth i mean you might have you might be internally bleeding i don't know but like maybe your <laughs> nucleus pulposus is leaking through your your bloodstream right now i don't know probably not but even if it is it is and you're going to figure it out from there it's probably not the end of you but maybe it is, and I'll push you around in a wheelchair to your bench press next week. We'll find out, you know. So, you know, once the person calms down a little bit, I'm like, okay, can you can you sit up? They usually can't. I'm like, all right, can you stand up? Usually can't. I'm like, you think you could uh, march very slowly? Yeah. Okay. I kind of bring them through like almost like the Derek Hansen's thing. I'm like, do you think you could march a little higher? Okay. You think you could turn that march into a skip? Okay. Do you think you could turn that skip into a very low A run? Got it. Do you think you could go a little higher with your A run? Okay. Do you think you could jog down the floor with high knees? They got it. I'm like, how do you feel right now? Uh, not so bad, actually. I think I got it. Okay. I'm like, okay. Do you think you could put a box in front of you, bend over and push the box? Got it. Okay. Do you think you could lower the box a little bit? Got it. Do you think I could put a dumbbell on that box and you could pick it up? Got it. Do you think I could lower that? Got it. Do you think you could pick up a barbell? Got it. Do you think you could deadlift? Got it. Do you think you could put more weight? Got it. And in the same session, oftentimes that person finishes their work sets. And it's like, see, it's really not so bad, man. What you should do next time is you should wish that it was worse so that you actually can solve for an even worse, worse circumstance. You know, next time you're deadlifting in your head, I want you to tell yourself that you're going to pull so hard that you're going to break your own back. I want you to pull so hard that your face falls off. Can you adopt that mindset? I want you to pull so hard that you're purposely trying to injure yourself and kill yourself. Can you adopt that mindset? Could you actually pull it off? Could you try so hard? that you rip your spine out of your body like scorpion, you know? And people are like, <laughs> I'm like, cause that's what I think about. I'm trying to rip this bar so hard that I scorpion myself, you know, ask me how often my back hurts. Almost never. You think I'm good on a table test? I'm the worst. You think I have any of these, you know, variable capabilities that everybody's chasing? I got none of them. Okay. Ask me how many meters I ran last week at high intensity, as much as an Olympic hopeful. You know, ask me how much training volume I accumulated in terms of tonnage, about as much as a pro bodybuilder. I'm doing this with, with, with very little movement capabilities. Okay, I don't need them. I can win under good circumstances, bad circumstances. I don't care, man. I didn't sleep that much last night. No big deal. Bring it on. You think that's going to scare me for this one day? No. Am I going to put this, am I going to purposely try to sabotage my whole life? No, because I want to do more. But I'm not here to try to shorten my playbook, limit my playbook. I'm trying to expand it as much as I possibly can. All circumstances, all day, all comers. You know, that's sort of like, I'm hoping that people can have more of that attitude. Not like, oh, my God, I can't do this thing based on this test. Therefore, I have to shut down my whole life. What are you kidding me? Like, 
Like, have you ever watched other animals on this planet? I can remember we had a dog that the dog tore its ACL. You know, we had to bring the dog in for surgery. The dog has like a cast on its leg. We bring it home immediately. As soon as we let the dog out of the car, it takes off trying to chase down these birds, chases these birds down into a swamp, kills one of the birds, ruins the, the cast, ruins the surgery, comes limping back with like a big shitty grin on its face with seagull blood all over its face. And I'm like, oh my God, like, why would you do that? It doesn't know any better. You know what I mean? It's just like, this is what I do, baby. Like, this is just what I do. And hey, you know what? That dog ended up being fine. You know what I mean? Like it, it didn't, didn't actually ruin anything. The ACL repaired over time. That dog didn't know the difference, you know? So it's, it's kind of like, I, I do think that at no point in time has any species ever been as soft as we are right now, including our own, you know, you think about like, what were your great, great grandparents? Like, man, they probably would have gotten in some rickety ass boat and sailed for like weeks to come to a new place with no money, know anything just show up somewhere new and like figure it out okay now people are like well i don't have a college degree i don't have this i don't have man shut up like are you kidding me like get up and do the work just show up at the place you know like if you show up relentlessly at something and keep trying and pushing forward you're probably going to make it if you have that same attitude like a dog you know like that's that's really all it's going to kind of come down to yeah, it's easier if you have some of those other things in place, but they're not essential. If you scrap and claw on that whole thing, you'll probably be just fine. You know, and I even talk about like the concept of the drug addict. And like, if you, if you like, think about how pathetic a population that is, crackheads or junkies. Okay. And that population can wake up today and be broke dead flat broke okay and by the end of the day they will figure out some way shape or form to score more drugs potentially hundreds of dollars more drugs they have no education they have no credentials they might have shit in their pants okay but they're going to realize their goals today through pure tenacity of being focused on this goal and going to get it and doing whatever they need to do to realize it I am not advocating for people to become drug addicts and despondent <laughs> and that thing. What I'm trying to point out is there are people that have a lot less than you that do much more with what they have in pursuit of what they're trying to chase that don't make excuses, stay focused on their goal and do whatever it is they need to, to realize their goals. You need less excuses and more just go get it. You know, if all you do is pontificate about things all day, every day, you're never going to do anything. Actions will lead the way. And you just need to start doing something and stay focused on that thing for a while. And if you let circumstances knock you off of that path, you need more Goggins. Yeah, dude, that's, that's fantastic, man. It makes me think of, a, I had a, a concussion and an upper cervical injury in 2017. And for, I did not heal like typically, it was like a long, long, long road back. But the first like eight, 10 months of that recovery, every single specialist, doctors, anyone with therapists after their name, they basically just made me into this, like, not made me, I made myself, but like this fragile, soft kind of like piece of glass, like anything I did would like, I get heart palpitations, all this stuff. And I started working 
uh, with Ben House at that time, like around the eight, 10 month mark. And he was like the first person who was just like, what's like the minimum you could do if you like went to the gym? And I'm like, honestly, I don't know because I haven't done it. And I went there the first day. I just went on all the machines, one circuit around. And I was like, actually, like I, was, I fucking felt fine. Like I just was okay. And then the next time I went, I did twice around and built it up, built it up, built it up. And I'm like, when I look back on that time, I'm like, this is like, this is like our medical system, right? Is like, you have a problem. Don't do the things that are bothering you. Never figure out anything. Here's a list of things you can't do. When the reality is, is like, you just need a little more Goggins, right? Like you just need to figure out that starting point, that entry point to where you can load your system and then just like make yourself a little harder, you know, like over time. And like, ever since that moment, I've just like, it's changed how I view patient care. It's changed how I view working with people. It's changed how like I view running my businesses, like all of those different things. Cause everything is ultimately a reflection of myself, right. In that, in that sense, you know, so that perspective, and then hearing you say that in your talk, and then I saw the quote today, like made me think about a lot of things. Cause I think that that simple, like shift in mindset is, is huge for a lot of people. It's a big differentiator. Mm-hmm. Wild man. Um, Pat, thank you very much for your, for your time this morning. Uh, I know we caught you in the middle of breakfast there, so I appreciate that. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, it, was, it was good, man. And I'll tell you like, you know, I'm, I'm, training for a bodybuilding show and I'm still eating cinnamon toast crunch, you know, and, and it's kind of like, and it's a certain, it's 70 grams, you know what I mean? It's not, but it fits into a scheme and, and it's, it's just funny because I do think it, it, it speaks specifically to one of the topics that was brought up of like, you know, uh, <laughs> an algorithm is making decisions for me. This fits into that algorithm. You know, and and it all, it ends up being just as good as as anything else. Like, it's not going to make a difference if that food item was egg whites and uh, I don't know white rice for breakfast or sweet potatoes or something like that. It had to have been a certain number of those things, but ultimately it gives you more flexibility and you can win under different circumstances. You know, so if I'm on the road and it's like, oh man, I got to hit my numbers. There's a million different ways I can hit my numbers. You know, it's the same way of being like. Oh no, I'm supposed to train my lats today. If I don't have this special device with this special attachment going across my body, I can't hit this exact. It's like, man, that is, if that's your approach, you you missed the boat, man. Like you got to be able to train those things under a lot of circumstances and hit them equally well, no matter what, like, you know, you're, you're, you're the kind of team that functions well and can win under perfect conditions in San Diego. And if anything's different, you're screwed. And if that's the approach that you want to drive forward into the world, that ain't my kind of a world that I want to be in. Yeah, a hundred percent, man. Pat, what's the best way uh, people can find your work, what you're, what you're doing, what you're working on, all that kind of stuff. Sure. I think everything's kind of consolidated to Instagram and I'm at Dr. Pat Davidson. Um, you know, I think everything would be in the, the bio link, uh, which some people still seem to not be able to figure out. Like I'll still get messages from people like, how do I find this thing? I'm like, bro, you go to the, 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 the main page for me and there's a link under my picture and description, hit that thing. And it's going to take you to boom, all the stuff. And then that'll bring you to each individual thing. So if you don't know about bio links, you need you know, more Goggins, man. <laughs> or maybe less, because Goggins might be like, man, I don't know about that stuff. I'm just trying to get out here and be better. Stay hard. You know what I mean? <laughs> spoon feeding, spoon feeding. Even in our industry. Even in our industry. 
<laughs> this all... is the chessboard. What do we do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. Thanks, guys. It was good seeing you, Pat. <laughs> Likewise. Enjoy your day, fellas. All right. See yeah. you, man. See you, Encore. <laughs>